All right, so we are into Advent uh, this Sunday. It's the first week of Advent. How many of you come here, you, this was the first realization that it was the first week of Advent today? <laughs> it's okay. We're, we're going to get you into Advent yet. We, uh, we're big proponents of it here. Um, just because of how it, it centers our hearts on the coming of, of Jesus and making us look forward to his second coming that is is going to be upon us. So, um, you know, one of, one of the things about, I found this interesting. Have you ever been in an empty house and all of a sudden you realize that when you're in a, in a very empty house that sound is very, very different in an empty house as opposed to when you've got stuff in it? Um, it's, it's weird because everything is magnified in a house that is empty. The sound just, it travels in a completely different way. We, we found this out when we were moving recently and um, we were back into the house to clean it in that last week and, and I, it just struck me. I, I hadn't thought about how different the sound would be in a house. And, and our, our words seemed to echo off the walls and such. I mean, you actually had to be really careful how many people were speaking at once because you actually, it sort of just reverberated and you couldn't hear well. Um, because of the echoes. And when you've, when you've been in a place that truly echoes, it's, it's astounding how sound can actually carry. And I, and I believe that that's indicative of what we hear in Scripture when we read the Old Testament. As, as we read how God chose to reveal himself to a specific people at a specific time in specific ways, you began you begin to hear echoes of his plan for redemption. And it's woven throughout all of Scripture. In the history of God's people, we, we encounter God weaving in this plan for redemption with his people. And all nations through specific individuals and in specific situations. And so, for Advent this year, we're going we're gonna to spend four weeks looking at echoes of Jesus in the Old Testament that reveal who he is for us, how he's our teacher, how he's our savior, how he's our redeemer, and how he is our king as well. Is is this, uh, Mike, just a question, is it kind of cutting in and out a little bit this morning? No? Okay. It's funny how sometimes I'm hearing things that no one else is hearing. That's okay. I'll ignore it then. So, Advent means what? Does anyone know what Advent means? I asked the kids this actually the other day when I was doing Bible story in school. Anyone knows what Advent, that word, means? Anyone? No? Okay, write this down. So that next year when I ask this question, you've got it. Advent means coming. It's, it's, the, it's celebrating the coming as in the coming of Jesus. The coming of the promised one, the coming of the long-awaited one, the coming of the Messiah to rescue his people and to bring them into the purposes of God. And within the story of the Old Testament, God's story for his people, there's, there's connecting points to this Messiah that reveal the nature, the character, the faithfulness of God for his people. And it's interesting because within God's story. There's these specific stories that we encounter that have echoes of Jesus, where we get this sense that God is showing us 
little snippets or little, he's kind of letting us peek into this larger plan that he had for the redemption of people, to rescue people and to make this world right. And so during Advent here, we're going to hear echoes of Jesus. and We're going to look specifically at stories of in Moses. We're going to look at Joshua. We're going to look at Ruth and Boaz. And then we're going to look at David. And how all of, in, within their stories, within what the accounts that we have in Scripture of them, we see this plan that God is weaving throughout the Old Testament that speaks of what he was going to do for all people. And so this morning, we're going to be, begin with Moses. And we're going to see how this story speaks to Jesus, our teacher. Moses is, is actually sometimes seen as a, a contrast to Jesus, if you will. There's almost like this, they, we kinda, he's held up as sort of this, the law versus the promise, right? And we, we see this uh, expressly in Galatians, where it's sort of, it's talked a lot about how we, we don't live by the law anymore. And so we associate a lot of the law with Moses. And the thing is, it wasn't, Galatians wasn't about Moses, it was about the abuse of the law. In fact, when you read through Galatians, you won't find Moses' name mentioned. But we associate him a lot with that. But Moses is central to the story of the Jewish people. He, outside of David, I would say he's probably the most famous person in all of Israel's history. He's still regarded as the most famous in, in the Jewish people's history. And he's, he's at the center of this captivity in Egypt. He's at the center of the exodus out of Egypt and God's plan to bring his people into the promised land and everything that he was doing through that. And in many ways, Moses is a foreshadowing of Jesus. What God does through Moses points us to what he would ultimately do for all people in Jesus. And so you might be hearing this and you go, well, why... Why are these connections even important to me? Like, what, what possibly does it have to do with my life that I should care that there's these threads in the Old Testament to Moses and to Jesus, and what, what does it matter? Well, I think one of the answers, and simple and yet really worth pondering for us, is it's God who chose to do this within his redemptive story. It's by design. He did this by design, and it's meant to be known by his people. We're meant to see these threads in his word, and it's meant to captivate us. It's meant to, to captivate us as we see it in the pages of Scripture and go, wow, look at what God was doing for his people. Another answer I would suggest is this. As, as we read through the Old Testament, it, it becomes clear that everything revolves around and points to the coming of this Messiah. That it is, it is throughout all of God's story. God promises this solution to our problem of shame, to the problem of brokenness, to the problem of lostness that we have as people. And there's, there's a lot of this in the Old Testament. I mean, just read through the account of God's people. Just read through the minor and the major prophets. Just try to read through the, even the beginning of Jeremiah and the beginning of Ezekiel. And it's just over and over and over again, this thing of brokenness and shame and lostness and rejection of God. And yet all throughout God saying, I am going to bring you back. I have a plan to redeem you. You are so lost. You're so broken. You are so in, 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 
you, you are resisting me in every way, he says to his people, but I am going to bring you back. And it's everywhere in the Old Testament. And it's a lot in this world. It's everywhere in the lives of people. You look around and people are experiencing shame. They're walking in brokenness. They're walking in lostness. They're trying to self-medicate. They're trying to do all sorts of things to make themselves whole. And yet, that whole remains. And so, our longing for relationship, our longing for wholeness in our lives, which everyone wants, we need rescuing. We need to be rescued by God. The third reason I'd suggest this is important is that on this side of history, so we've got, every, we've got all scripture already for us, as we look to the coming of Jesus and we see the intricate and intentional ways that God wove redemption into the story of his peoples, we begin to see those connecting points. And over the next four weeks, we'll look at that. It is meant to fill us with confidence and hope that Jesus is coming back, that there is a sure hope of his return, that all of this is within God's sovereign plan, and that he has been so faithful to weave this into his story and into all of history, that it's not a question of whether or not this is true. This is foundational truth for our lives. God moved through the pages of history we, we sang about it, actually, the one song this morning, about how he, he was over just walking through history, right? Through ordinary people to show us the depth of his love and his commitment for us. To behold the magnitude of his glory. We sang about that this morning. Just the glory that we're meant to see in all of this. And it is meant, it's meant to captivate us. It's meant to thrill us. It's meant to fill our hearts with unbelievable hope. So I, I thought about calling this week as I was thinking about this first week. I, I really battled with, should we call it Jesus our rescuer? Because that, that's where the story of Moses begins. The, the call to rescue God's people from the grip of Pharaoh. When God comes to Moses, he says that his call is to bring my people out of Egypt. He tells Moses, he says, you're going to go to Pharaoh and you're going to say, let my son go that he may serve me. And, and you know, we're not going to get into the, the whole story, but there's a lot of excuses and there's a lot of stalling with Moses. There's a lot of like back and forth with God until God basically rebukes him very harshly and says, look, this is what you're going to do. And he, he comes and, he, and he's the one to bring God's people and to rescue them from the nation of Egypt. And in many ways, it mirrors the story of Jesus coming to rescue God's people from the kingdom of darkness, the incredible truth that we also, we need to be rescued, we need to be set free. God comes to us and he offers us to lead us into that freedom. And so that, that leads us to the first echo this morning, and that is that Jesus offers to free us. You know, the, the Christmas season and, and all the traditions that go along with it, and now we're, we're kind of ramping up into that again, it can be really a time of joy. It can be a time of warmth. Um, and, and, you know, the Christmas story is central to all of it. And, and everything that we do sort of revolves around this story of Jesus coming. But if Jesus stays in the manger, 
If that's the extent of where he stays for us during this season, we've actually then bought into the emptiness of the season. And that's, and that's a danger because January hits and the hard realities and the struggles of life, they're back. They might have been temporarily sort of shined over with the, you know, the holidays and tis the season and all this stuff. It's all great. There's a lot of just wonderful things. That, but if that's just going over the sheen of the realities of life, there's still brokenness that is running the lives of people as they get into the majority of their lives. And the point of that is Jesus didn't stay a baby. The joy of this season is meant to flow into the rest of our lives. It is meant to flow into the other 11 months of the year so that we experience the thrill of hope, the thrill of freedom that Jesus came to bring. The deliverance of God's people from Egypt, as amazing as that story is, and it is an amazing story of how God rescued his people, it's the appetizer, if you will, to the main course. The main course is so much better. The deliverance that God would offer to all people to save them from sin and rebellion, to offer us a way to healing, to offer us a way to relationship with him. So there's this this account in Luke 4 when Jesus, he begins, right at the beginning of his ministry, he begins it and He begins his ministry, it says, by deliberately going back to the synagogue in Nazareth. Really interesting in that he returns and comes back to his people. He comes back to his hometown, it says. Kind of like there's an echo there even of Moses. Moses coming back to his people. And Jesus comes back and as he stands up in the synagogue there, he reads from Isaiah 61. and And he reads there of how he is set, God has sent him to proclaim liberty to the captives, to set at liberty those oppressed. These incredible words. And it says that as he's reading these words from the prophet Isaiah, that all the eyes of the people in the synagogue were fixed on him. Like it was a, whoa, what's going on sort of moment with him. And Jesus, maybe, maybe when we read it, we don't, it's lost on us the incredible nature of the statement that he's making there in front of the people. And he adds, in fact, in case people weren't getting it, then he says, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. He says, the words of the prophet Isaiah written thousands of years before, they're now fulfilled right now here in your midst. I I think it was one of those sort of awe-inducing, goosebump kind of moments for the people that are going, who is this Jesus, this carpenter's son? They even said that, like, isn't this Joseph and Mary's son? Like, who is this guy? It's, it's an incredible declaration. I'm the one, Jesus says, to fulfill the prophecy of God's, pe- God's people being set free. I'm the one who's going to come and rescue them. I'm going I'm to leave it there. I'm not going to go on in Isaiah 61. I think we're going to come back to that next week a little bit because that's just an incredible passage. But in the account of God rescuing his people from Egypt, there's, 
There's clear instructions when it came to the blood of the Passover lamb being put on the doorposts of the houses so that when God sent the destroyer to destroy all the firstborn in Egypt, he had warned Pharaoh saying, look, if you don't obey, if you don't let my people go, this is what's going to happen. And Pharaoh kept saying, no, I don't believe that. That's not going to happen. Finally, God says, okay, this is it. And he says to, the, he says to his people, put the blood on the doorposts of your house to save you, to keep the destroyer from coming in. And we know that, of course, they do that and they're saved. In John 10, Jesus, he speaks of being the great shepherd. And there, it's really interesting because he says very specifically, he says, I am the door. He says, through which you enter and are saved. And there's this thing, again, a connection of doors. He says, and then he says, you enter through me and you're saved. He says, I have come that they may have a life and may have it abundantly. You, you might feel right now, and it wouldn't surprise me if some of us feel this way in this room. We feel trapped in life. There's things happening in our lives where we feel trapped. No one else may know what's going on. There might be stuff going on in your heart, going on in the depths of you that no one else knows about, and you are wrestling with stuff and you feel like, I don't know what to do with this. And it's not necessarily, because our world would say, well, maybe it's about changing your situation. Maybe it's about changing your location. It's not about situational or geographical change. It's about needing Jesus to bring healing into our lives. That's what we ultimately need. Jesus came. He offers to free us from the sure death that sin wants to just overload us with and brings in our lives. And clearly implied that Jesus clearly implies there to us, we need saving. We need to be freed. We need rescuing. And for some, that's, that's where Jesus stays. Many people, if, they, if you would ask a lot of people, why, why did Jesus come into this earth? You'll get something probably along the lines of, well, he came to save us from our sins. You'll find lots of people will give you that answer. They've, 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 maybe they've learned it in Sunday school somewhere, but they know that answer. It's sort of like the Sunday school answer. Well, he came to save us from our sins. And that's true. And it's massive. It is the biggest deal. But it's not something to acknowledge, and then you put that on the shelf, and that's where it stays. Because that's not where Jesus leaves it. That's, that's it being information and not being effectual in our lives. So in Exodus, we read of, of this miraculous way that God led his people out of Egypt. Truly a miraculous way that G, the Jews celebrate to this day. Jews make a huge deal of this to this day, as they should. Exodus 14, 30 to 31, says, Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Now, that's great. It's wonderful. God led them out, by, by, used Moses, Moses obeyed. It's all good. But that's not where God leaves the story. It's not where the story ends. God led them into the wilderness. You go, the wilderness? Yeah, God led them into the wilderness for a purpose. To teach them and to make them his people. He brought them into the wilderness to make them a distinct people. 
God began to speak clearly to the people about listening diligently to his voice and obeying his commandments. There's a couple references, I think, yeah, on, on the screen maybe. Matt, if you go forward. Yeah. And in Exodus 19, it speaks, you can back it up. Yeah, there we go. So in Exodus 19, it speaks of the promise if the people there would obey the Lord. And he says, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That's God echoes of it, right? Where do, where do we read that? Where do we read that in the New Testament? Holy nation. First Peter. Right? First Peter 2 is God, Peter applies that to the believers in the New Testament. It says there in Exodus 19 that Moses set all these words before the people that the Lord commanded him. And the people then, they, so he sets this all before him, the people promise, they say, yeah, we're going to follow the Lord, we're going to follow your commandments. And then it says in verse 9, and the Lord said to Moses, behold, I'm coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. There's this passage, or sorry, I, I should, uh, so I want to make note in verse 16 to 19 that it also says, it talks about a thick cloud on the mountain, that there's a very loud trumpet blast that grew louder, and God answers Moses in thunder, it says, and he calls him to the top of the mountain. There's just this incredible scene of God doing this in front of the people with Moses. Seems to bring to mind another mountain scene. So it have echoes of another mountain scene for you with a cloud. Moses happens to be present as well at this second mountaintop scene. And a voice speaking from the cloud says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. You know what he said? The next thing the Lord says, listen to him. There's this clear echoing going on here with Moses and Jesus. And it leads us, now, oh, and by the way, I think that's why Peter, when he gets all excited when that happens on the mountain with Jesus, and he's like, well, maybe we should like build tents and kind of keep this going, Jesus. He was, Peter was thinking, though, he knew what was happening. He remembered what the, what the scripture said of Moses, and he's going, whoa, and Moses is here again. So, really cool stuff. But it leads us to the second echo that we hear this morning. And that is that Jesus seeks to teach us. God led his people into the wilderness so that he could teach them his ways and make them a distinct people. Jesus frees us in order to teach us as well and make us distinct for him. There's, there's larger echoes that we see here in Exodus and and then there's, there's smaller ones as well that we see in Exodus 18 where it speaks there in Exodus 18 of the, of the people being encamped and it says they're encamped at the mountain of God. And then it says Moses sat down and he began to judge the people or govern them and sort of tell them about God's laws and ways. But it says very distinctly they were at the mountain of God and, they, and Moses sat down. Matthew 5, 2, we read of Jesus. He went up on the mountain and he sat down. And it says that he began to teach the disciples and he's teaching them the ways of God. 
there's this very distinct connection. Moses sat, Jesus sat, and they're teaching the people the ways of God. That's not a coincidence. Moses, or, sorry, Matthew is making a very, very intentional point there. He's saying, Jesus came to teach people the ways of God. Yes, Jesus came to free us. Yes, he came to set us free from our sins, but he seeks to teach us the way of God. Jesus actually, what did he primarily come as? What did he come as primarily? As a? Someone. Yeah, but, but what did he come as? What was his role? He was a te- practically, he was a teacher, right? He was a rabbi. He came as a teacher. Deuteronomy 18 has this incredible prophetic promise there where Moses, he speaks of another prophet that God is going to send to the people, that it, the people are to listen to. And Stephen, as he's being persecuted in Acts 7, and he's, and he's telling the story of what God has done, he points to that and he says, Jesus is that prophet that was sent to the people. So the question is, what does Jesus seek to teach us? And, and I th- it's a question that I was asking myself this week as I prepared. Like, obviously Jesus comes and he's coming to teach us many, many things. You could just make a, a list of, of what he's coming. But there's things that, there's central things around which Jesus always based his teaching on. There was, there was threads throughout his teaching. And so there's three that I want to highlight this morning. What did he keep coming back to? First, to walk in his way. Jesus' constant invitation to us is, follow me. It's not, believe in me. It's not, say, a prayer to receive me. It was, if you want to be with me, follow me. And that, that word, follow, has a very intentional meaning of way or road. To follow Jesus is to follow the way of Jesus. We follow down his road. Yes, we need to know what to believe, but way more crucial than what you need to know what to believe is you need to know how do you walk out, how do you live the way of Jesus in your life? How do you walk according to his truth and his ways? There's, there's, if you come from a, a Mennonite background, you might be familiar with this, the Anabaptist tradition. Um, there, there's, in the Anabaptist theology, I, I love this one part of their doctrine of Scripture where it speaks as Jesus as the Word of God. And what it means by that is that all of Scripture points to Jesus as being the Word of God, and that we follow the way of Jesus as revealed in all of Scripture. So the red letters of Jesus aren't more important than the words of Paul. It's all the revealed Word of Jesus. It's all the Word of God, and I love that. But it's seeing Scripture as the inspired Word of God. Why? To help us to follow the way of Jesus so that we're being directed in that road. Second thing that Jesus teaches us is to be like him. We, we have an inclination as people to copy or mimic others. And, and we see it maybe more as people are younger. You'll see, you know, when, when a, 
um, a celebrity or a musical act or something just gets massively huge, you'll see thousands of people begin to mimic those people. They'll, they'll want to dress like them, they'll want to act like them, and it becomes this obsession to look like this. And, and it's been through all, all of history. There's this thing of copying and mimicking. And maybe we become more self-conscious of that with age, and we try to, try to hide that a little bit more. We're not as overt as maybe teenagers are in that. But we're still influenced by this. And Jesus knows this about us. He knows that we have an inclination to copy others. And so he says, be like me. Matthew 16, right, right before actually the transfiguration of Jesus on the mountaintop. And we find Jesus, he's rebuking Peter because Peter thinks he knows the way of Jesus. He thinks he knows the way that Jesus is going to go. And, Peter, and Jesus says to Peter, you have no idea. Like, get behind me. You are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the, on the things of men. And then he says, if, he says then to the disciples, he says, if you're to follow my way, he very clearly says, you have to deny yourself. He says, you have to take up your cross he says, you have to be willing to lose your life for my sake. The whole thing there, it's words of surrender. The whole thing is surrender. Maybe you say, well, maybe I, like, I have to take up a real cross. No, you may not have to take up a real living cross, but it's not a metaphor. It's clear. The call to Jesus is a call to surrender my way to the way of Jesus. Third thing he teaches us, worship God and serve others. Jesus spoke about where our worship was directed and he always put us back to the, always turned us back to the Father. And then he, he had the call to serve others, which is not the inclination for most of us. When I was, when I was in Bible school at 19, we one of the things that we had to do that year as, uh, as students, um, and it was, they called it an integral part of our character growth, was serving. And so we were, we were cheap. Well, no, we were actually, we were like free labor. So we were free labor for the year, for the church. And, and, and so in a variety of ways, we were always called to serve. And in many ways, it challenged our selfishness. It challenged, well, that's my time. And it's like, no, you're going to come and you're going to serve now. And, uh, and I remember serving in the kitchen at the church for, for a few big events that we would have. And so our job was to basically do the people that were, were kind of running the show. Our job was to serve them in any way that they wanted us to, whether that was dishes or, or anything else. But it was a, an intentional way that they were saying, you know what, you need to grow in your serving gift. And I did. I needed to grow a lot in my serving gift at 19. I still need to grow in my serving gift at this age. But learning to serve is an, is an intentional act in our lives. There's an intentionality to put the needs of others before my own. When, when James and John, when they came to Jesus seeking human praise and they, they wanted to ask him, like, who's going to sit at your right and your left? They want places of authority. And I don't think they got the answer that they were expecting. Jesus says to him, he says, look, this is what you want? He's like, I didn't even come to be served. He says, I came to serve. And so serving others is part of 
the DNA of a follower of Jesus. So Jesus frees us in order to teach us to live according to his ways, but that, it doesn't end there either. After Moses helps lead the people out of Egypt, he begins to teach them what it means to be God's people, and a large part of Exodus deals with, with all those commandments that the Lord is, is putting forth for his people and the special instructions for building the tabernacle where God's going to dwell with his people. And I want to I show you a picture of what happens after all this in Exodus 40, in verse 34. Can you back that up a little bit, Matt? Sorry, the, so we can hear, see the full verse. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. It's this awe-inspiring event that happens in the midst of the people. And I talked about this last week, but we, we are now the place where that spirit of God dwells in us. It says that Moses, it says that he wasn't even able to enter the tent of meeting due to the magnitude of God's glory in the midst. Now God's spirit, it says that spirit that came, just get that picture in your mind, that spirit that came to rest over that tabernacle and in that tabernacle, Moses couldn't even come near it. That spirit now dwells in us. It's an amazing truth. So Jesus frees us in order to teach us to live according to his way, and then he desires to fill us with more of his presence. The third echo that we hear here is that Jesus desires to fill us. Jesus offers to free us. He seeks to teach us, but he also desires to fill us with his presence. The last instructions that Jesus gave to his disciples before he left earth is he said, you need to wait in Jerusalem. You need to wait until my spirit comes and you are baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. He he basically was saying, don't even think that you can leave and go out unless you have that. We need to be filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit in our lives. Acts 2.4 says, when the Spirit came, so Jesus said, wait. They're waiting. They're praying. They're waiting for God to move. And it says, when the Holy Spirit came, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Every single one. We need this filling of the Holy Spirit. Now, that, that can put us on, on edge a little bit, if you will. If, if you've been taught a more conservative understanding of the spirit and uh, I'm not sure about that like that that gets a little bit I can get a little bit wonky that can go a little bit crazy but this filling of the Holy Spirit is about being empowered for following the way of Jesus do you realize that you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, consistently filled, so that you actually have the ability to follow Jesus? Because we're weak and we need God to fill us. We need to be filled to build his kingdom. That's our calling and telling others about him. Yes, we have a mission. You have a mission 
Your mission is to spread the good news of Jesus where you go. You have a mission to tell people about Jesus. You have a, mess, you have a mission to be sowing Jesus into the lives of people. You will not do that unless you are empowered by the Holy Spirit. We must be empowered. The disciples, after this all happened, they very clearly taught that this was available to all. They saw the prophetic words of Joel in the Old Testament as applicable now to all the people. Peter stood up and prophesied and he said, and he prophesied from Joel and he said, the Holy Spirit is going to now be poured out on all flesh. So it's about being filled to overflowing with more and more and more of God's presence in our lives. I was, I was listening this week to a, a podcast on spiritual formation and, or spiritual disciplines, that's another word for that, in our lives and the importance that, uh, in the church of pursuing this and, and instilling spiritual disciplines into our lives. And, and one of the things they brought out is the importance of that to, um, to ignite and cultivate and to have more of the fruit of the Spirit flowing in us. And I thought, that is, that's really profound. Like, I need spiritual disciplines in my life because that's a way to cultivate more of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, self-control. All of that. I need all of that. I need so much more of that in my life on a day-to-day basis. And I need that cultivated in me. And that's God's presence in me. The fruit of the Spirit is God's presence in me flowing out of me. I need that. Maybe you're here going, I need, I need that too. So Jesus' offer to free us, his seeking to teach us, his desiring to fill us, these, these are all invitations. These are all invitations that are laid before us saying, will you walk in this? Do you want to see growth? Do you want to see impact in your life? Walk in these things. Accept these things. Jesus offers and seeks and desires to do this in our lives. The thing is, he doesn't force in any way. Jesus is not going to come and he's not going to push on you and he's not going to try and make this happen. He's saying, come. You want more? Come. In Exodus, God promises to heal his people and to make them his treasured possession. These incredible promises, but they're conditional. He says, they're conditional on if you obey me and if you keep my commandments. And in John 14, Jesus, he's speaking and he promises, he says, me and the Father, we'll, we'll come to you. We'll make our home with you. He says, we'll, we'll do this, but it also has a condition on it. And the condition is obeying him. He says, If you love me, you will obey my commandments. You will seek to walk in that way if you love me. And we're not meant to see that as a forceful ultimatum there. It's an invitation that Jesus is putting forth. He's saying it's an invitation. We want to dwell with you. The Father and I, we desire to dwell in you. Here's the invitation. Will you receive this? So we're going we're gonna to end this morning with communion. But I want to, as we do this, I want to invite you 
to spend a few minutes with Jesus. Just you and the Lord. You don't have to rush. And I want to put these questions uh, to us. For us to, to dialogue with the Lord. Where do I need to accept the offer of Jesus' freedom? Where do I need to receive Jesus' teaching in my life? To follow his way, to surrender my life, to serve others? Where do I need more of the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life? This is, this is the part where it goes from what Paul has dispersed as information to this now becoming effectual in my heart and in my life. How can I now apply the word of God and make it effectual in me as I go? So I want to invite you to...